What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay. Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates. On tonight's show, I have a very special guest. His name is Jay Mack, and he is the proprietor of a website, which is jmack.net. G-A-Y-M-A-C-K.net. But he has done a superlative job in compiling and adding commentaries to many books of the Bible. And you'll see on YouTube, he's got 19 books of the Bible from Genesis all the way up to Romans done. And he's continuing to work on that. But he has kind of a Messianic Jewish perspective, a different vein of Christianity for sure. So I'm going to ask him about that. But we're going to get into his website and some of his positions. So Jay Mack, are you there? Yes, thank you. Awesome. Thanks for agreeing to the interview. Really fascinating website. I've been kind of bouncing around through it, looking about some of the testimonial statements of faith. But for people who may not have heard your name or your website, can you talk a little bit about your background and what led you to start compiling all of this information into uh, this website, jmac.net? Well, my wife and I were attending a Calvary Chapel in the 80s, and this particular pastor invited this Jewish guy to come speak on a Friday, Saturday, Sunday kind of mini-series on the life of Christ. And uh, when he started teaching and talking, it was like everything else that I had heard about the Gospels was in black and white. And he was speaking in like Technicolor. And it was fascinating to me. And his name was Arnold Fuchtenbaum. And he uh, was a, came from a, a generation of seven rabbis. And he was saved for Jews, Jews for Jesus and started a Messianic website and planning Messianic synagogues. And from that, learning from him, I got very interested and uh, started writing. And that's how I got started uh, eventually making my website and, and, and writing devotional commentary. Gotcha. And so you did you have a Master's in Divinity before or after that event? Um, I was I was actually in the middle of it. Gotcha. So you, so this is a while back. And what, what about, I mean, if you recollect specifically, what about his approach or his, this from a Jewish perspective, looking at uh, the Christian worldview, what, what different, what, do you have any notable differentiations you remember? Well, he talks about things that you're never going to hear in church. And some of, some of this is from, um, Jewish uh, sources that are that are that are not biblical sources, and some of it is uh, uh, in the Bible. For example, he talks about uh, like Nicodemus, and Nicodemus uh, 
you know, we all know the story of Nicodemus and and being and Jesus says you need to be born again. But in verse uh, three, four, Nicodemus says, "Well, how can somebody be born again? Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb." Well, it turns out that Arnold explains things from a Jewish perspective, like there was there were six ways in Judaism for someone to be born again. Hmm. One was um, very common in, in Pharisaic writings. And one was to be a Gentile who was converted. So Nicodemus didn't qualify for that. The second one was to be crowned king, and he didn't qualify for that. But they teach that, Judaism teaches, that the sages teach that when a 13-year-old boy is bar mitzvah, he's born again. And oh, interesting. When a Jew was married, he was said to be born again. And to be a and, and to be a member of the Sanhedrin, which Nicodemus was, they had to be married. They were married about twenty. So, and uh, another one was an ordained rabbi was considered to be born again about the age of thirty, and Nicodemus was a rabbi. And the final way to be born again was to be the head of a rabbinic academy. And in verse ten, Jesus says to Nicodemus that he is the teacher of Israel, and one of the one who was about to be 50 was the head of a rabbinic academy, was always referred to as the teacher of Israel. So what Nicodemus was saying here was he said, hey, I've used up all my options. I was bar mitzvah at 13. I was married at 20. I was a rabbi at 30. And I was the head of a, a rabbinic academy at age 50. What am I supposed to do now? Go back and be born again and start the process all over again? So it was this background that Arnold Fuchtenbaum had that added flavor and a better understanding of that simple thing of surely a man cannot enter a second time into his mother womb, mother's womb to be born. Right. So you see that, that theme of being born again already in Judaism, that somebody from a Christian background may not have that context, that additional context yeah. of that term. Right. Gotcha. So for you, so this was a, an important event for you. So what kind of changes did you make to really become uh, kind of, I guess you would be very comfortable with somebody who's really a Messianic Jew, right? So would you consider yourself a Messianic Jew or a Messianic Christian? Or what term do you accept for your theological position? I consider myself a Messianic Gentile. Gotcha. And um, I, uh, Arnold had tapes and books. And so I started reading all those. I started reading uh, different Messianic authors. But we also, um, the last five years, uh, well, there was a, a period of time there when my wife and I actually, we moved, and so we needed um, a new church home. And we had talked about joining a Messianic congregation. So we joined uh, a Messianic congregation, actually. So what's, is the, how, what's the proportion of... Jews to Gentiles in the Messianic congregation. Is it mostly Jewish people? It is not. Okay. It is not. But most 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 Messianic congregations, um, the majority are gen are Gentiles. Interesting. And do you I mean, what do you think? I mean, I've heard other kind of percentages bandied about like 10%, 15%. Isn't there a significant proportion of Jewish people today who are consider themselves messianic Jews? There is, and I don't know that anybody has a has a percentage. Hmm. Um, 
But I will say that, in my opinion, uh, the church, by and large, uh, ignores Messianic congregations and, 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 Messi and Messianics, whether they're Jews or Gentiles. Um, you know, the question in, in Acts 15 with the council in Jerusalem was, can these Gentiles be saved? And it seems like the question today is, can these Jews be saved? Right. Um, they, I mean, they just treat them like uh, distant cousins, you know. No, I think that's true. I mean, because there is kind of what Jews for Jesus is out there. There are active uh, groups, and I've you know I've heard the fifteen percent from somebody who's a kind of like you is kind of like a Christian rabbi, but uh, he said like there's a lot of sympathy too within Judaism for the messianic position, even though some of these people are still going to traditional synagogues or things like that. Yeah. Now the the, the Southern Baptist Convention actually has. Um, uh, Southern Baptist Messianic uh, uh, wing to them. There's about 25 churches, Messianic congregations, started by Southern Baptist churches in, in America. Interesting, fascinating. So, so that, so this, like for example, today you will be uh, engaging in uh, worshiping in Sabbath, right? So you're going to sundown to sunrise tomorrow. You will that will be your Synagogue time or church time? I mean, I guess you don't call it a church, right? No, no. We call it uh, our, our either a synagogue or just a congregation. I lead uh, what's called a Havara tonight. Uh, Havara is just like a small a small group, a home fellowship type of thing. Or and I and and I we, we go to a, mess, a messianic congregation now, and um, these people, uh, some of them, most of them go to our messianic congregation. Some do not. But uh, I lead it on you on uh, Zoom. We have a Zoom meeting. We just because of the COVID, we we started it on Zoom and we just continued. But I will I will lead that uh, this evening. Yes, you're right. Gotcha. So you have kind of an online congregation, and then um, what? I mean, you talk about this term replacement theology on your website. I saw that in the statement of faith. Well, can you define what replacement theology is and how it's applicable to your outlook? Yeah, um, I would like to say one more thing before we leave sure, the Messianic Jewish perspective. Um, on my website under Statement of Faith, the last paragraph, I have uh, a statement on Jewish perspective. What is, the, what is a Jewish perspective? And I said, we're a strong supporter of Jewish people and approach the scriptures from a Jewish perspective. And as a matter of fact, my, my website, the target audience of my website are Gentiles we want to approach the scriptures from a Jewish perspective. Gotcha. And I said, and I say in it, um, God speaks of his love for the whole world, yet he gave special promises to the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We do not believe in replacement theology. In other words, the church has not replaced Israel in God's plan. Um, and I think that's... Um, they replacement there there are groups like the Hebrew Roots movement and stuff like that that believe that because uh, by and large there's always been a, a believing remnant but the people in replacement theology believe because Israel has rejected Christ that the church all the promises to Israel in the Old Testament have now been conferred to the church and the church is now Israel so right. when they read the Old Testament it says Israel they're thinking Gentiles. They're thinking that's us now. 
But obviously, when you read like Romans chapter 11, verses 25 to 36, and talks about Israel's redemption, that just can't be true. But there is a, a very big movement today called replacement theology, where the, the church has replaced Israel. Gotcha. And so your view is that you don't have that kind of uh, rigid separation between the Old and New Testament, maybe that some other Christians would have, right? So those... That's, that's very true. You know, okay. we believe that um, the Old Testament looks forward and the New Testament looks back, and you cannot really understand, you cannot really understand the New Testament without understanding the Old Testament. Yeah. I'll give you one more example of the Jewish perspective. You know, uh, whether it's uh, Orthodox Judaism or Reformed Judaism or Conservative Judaism, they believe in a thing called the Oral Law. And they believe that when Moses came down from Mount Sinai, he brought two laws down. He brought the written law on the tablets of stone, but he also brought down an oral law. And today... Uh, after when Ezra came back after the Babylonian captivity, um, he started this process of examining the 613 commandments of the Torah and like rabbinic academies. So today there's at least 1,500 oral laws for every one of the 613 commandments in the Torah. So um, every one of the problems and the conflicts that Jesus had in the Gospels is over the oral law. Every single every single one. There wasn't a time, and because the oral law was man-made, they, they just made it up. God had, Jesus being the word, and, and, and he knew that he had nothing to do with this oral law, so as he and his apostles are walking through a wheat field on the Sabbath, and, is this, and, they're, and they're hungry, so they take off some of the wheat and crush it in their hand and blow off the chaff and eat the wheat. The Pharisees and Sadducees go crazy because they said, you're breaking, the, you're breaking the law. You're breaking the law. And, of course, that was an oral law. But by the time of Christ, the Pharisees had elevated the oral law. They said, whoever follows the Torah does a good thing. But whoever follows the oral law does an even better thing. They had actually elevated the oral law to a, a superior place over the written law. All the conflicts in, that Jesus has with the Pharisees and Sadducees in the New Testament, in the Gospels, is over the oral law. And gotcha. my, my contention is if you, if you don't understand that, then you, you really can't understand the Gospels. Right, and so that even the the presumption that the oral law came down from Sinai is is more than debatable, right? I mean, that's something a very convenient thing that I don't think is in Genesis, right? Does 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 Moses say I'm bringing you an oral law as well? No, no, it's, it's right. not. In, it's not in Scripture. It's not in gotcha. Scripture at all. Right. Um, it's a totally man-made thing. Jesus in the in the Gospels, Jesus calls it. The tradition of the elders. He says, you follow the tradition of the elders, meaning all these man-made laws that you have made up. So he had nothing to do with them and didn't. And, uh, and the, the problem was that by the time that Christ was born, the rabbis taught that uh, not only when the Messiah came, not only would he believe in the oral law, 
but he would participate in the making of new oral laws. Mm -hmm. So when Jesus was doing all these miracles, they couldn't deny the miracles, but he had nothing to do with the oral law. So they were on the horns of a dilemma. And, 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 and their answer to that dilemma was that he was demon-possessed. He was, re he was at ultimately rejected and, and, and said to be demon-possessed because he would not participate in this oral law system. Fascinating. All right, so then that also kind of, uh, you, when you're in your website, you're going back through these commentaries, right? So you include Orthodox Jewish interpretations of the Old Testament and the New Testament, correct? Yeah. Now, what I, what I do is uh, I have to have a way of letting the reader know what is, um, you know, not, not biblical and what is extra, what is some of these, uh, what the sages say or what the rabbis say. So what I do is um, I uh, put it in teal on, er on every, every uh, commentary. I have an introduction to the commentary and I kind of explain how to, how to read the commentary. So anything that is in bolded teal uh, is uh, from the rabbis. And normally I, I kind of paraphrase it by saying the rabbis teach that blah, 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 and it's in bolded teal. So they can tell the difference between what is scripture and what is uh, extra biblical. Gotcha. And uh, I mean, you, so you have like Jewish perspective. What... Um, well, you started this project, what, in, back in 2012, is that correct? Yes. So your project, you're, you have 19 books. Your ultimate goal is to have the totality of the New and Old Testament with the commentaries on this website, correct? Well, you know, most of them, um, some of the, uh, like Revelation has, a, has Ezekiel in it. It has Daniel in it. Uh, my commentary on the life of Solomon that I that I plan to write has the whole book of Ecclesiastes in it. So I don't have a separate book of Ecclesiastes, but it's in life of life of Solomon. So uh, it'll end up being Second uh, uh, Peter is in, in is in a lot of Jude, so it ends up being almost every book. But I they won't be separate uh, commentaries on every book, but will end up being. Uh, having parts of almost every book in the Bible, yes. Gotcha. And um, so your ultimate goal is to have all that done. And you've had, what, 25 volunteers kind of working on this now, is that correct? Yes, we have um, We have about 25 volunteers. I have editors. Um, I have uh, a graphic designer. Um, we have translators in Tamil and Hindi from India. We have a translator in Spanish from Argentina. We have a translator in Urdu from Pakistan. And uh, I just, uh, it's not on the website yet, but I have a, a brilliant man, a brilliant pastor from uh, uh, Burundi, Africa, who is fluent in seven languages and has started 25, uh, started 12 churches and is going to uh, uh, translate my commentaries into Swahili. Oh, wow. Because Swahili is, has an English-based alphabet, so. Uh, but we are looking um, for uh, two other translators. Um, 
we, I had a Chinese translator and a German translator, and for different reasons, both of them ended up not being able to proceed. But we have the graphic uh, drawn up online, and so uh, I'm I'm in need of a Chinese translator and, and a German translator. So if there's anybody out there interested, I would like for them to get in touch with me through my website. Right. So that's jmac.net. And what how, what's the reception of this project kind of internationally with these different languages? Are you finding that people are contacting you or how, how is that kind of working out? You know, it is um, the most advanced one. And the first one was in Spanish. And uh, he, Silvio has uh, translated uh, four books and is getting ready to start another one. And we are starting to get um, uh, com uh, comments uh, from Spanish readers in Spanish to them. Um, the other ones, um, the Tamil and Hindi and Urdu, were, were going to get started right when COVID hit. And so that's been very difficult. Um, uh, so we're going to have to wait and see about that. You know, I just feel like uh, I think there's a, there's a if you read my um, if you go to the testimonies on my on my website, uh, I get testimonies from all over the world, literally all over the world. So I, I have great confidence as God God's it's, it's it's God's word. You know, will not return void. And I have a great confidence that as as His word goes out in Tamil and Hindi and Urdu and Swahili that we will get um, a great response. And I mean, it's interesting, like what would be your argument for people who came across this website and were curious about kind of maybe changing their Christian outlook or Jewish outlook to yours, this messianic outlook, what would be your advice to them or what would you say to them? Well, I would say, you know, to me, it's not a change. You know, to me, it's a biblical outlook. Um, uh, I've had people say, well, um, when I very first started this very first, very first book I wrote was Isaiah and I had an editor. I, I wasn't living where I live now and I had an editor and, uh, she came to me and she said, you know, there's, I, I would use the words that are familiar to Jewish believers, you know, like, uh, I, Use Adonai, Hashem, uh, and I would use the use these terms. And she came to me and she said, "You know, you're you're using too much Jewish stuff. This is too much Jewish stuff." I said, "You know, that's not your target audience." And I and I said, "No, that's that's wrong. That is that's exactly my target. That's exactly my target audience." And um, uh, I don't think people have, it's, it's not a change. It's, uh, it's going back to its, its, its roots. And I, and I say to people, you know, the whole New Testament, every book is Jew. It was written by a Jew, right. every single book. So, you know, you can't, you can't take the Jewishness out of the New Testament when it was written by Jews. Right. Um, even, even Luke was uh, um, uh, uh, Hellenistic Jew, you know, he was a Hellenistic Jew, but uh, all, all the rest of them were, were Jewish, were Jewish writers. So um, 
I think that there is a great hunger for for Gentiles to once they are exposed to this, uh, they, they they kind of go, yeah, that, that kind of makes sense. And I think there's a great hunger for it. And when people are exposed to it, you know, most often they, they embrace it. And uh, what do you find is different between their standard Christian approach to the New Testament that, that the Jewish kind of uh, Messianic Jews have that's different? Do you, do you find noticeable differences between that theological view? Yeah. Um, first of all, I would say that when was the last time your church taught through a book in the Old Testament? I, I can't even think. I mean, not in a long time. Not in a long time. Yeah. yeah. You know, I mean, normally if, if they're, I mean, some pastors that, that preach or teach topically, sometimes they will go, you know, to the, to a, to a, a passage in the Old Testament for a Sunday. But, but pastors who teach through books of the Bible in churches very rarely teach through an Old Testament book. Like, when was the last time, you know, your pastor taught through Deuteronomy? You know, Never. I, I, was, I, was, I was at a Christian church, and I asked to do a, um, a, a, a class, uh, like a Sunday school class, on uh, the Feast of Israel. And so uh, it was on a it was on a it was on a Wednesday evening, and I would this was a very large church, and um, I went around to all the Sunday school classes to uh, kind of uh, let everybody know I was going to teach this class, and so I went into this very large women's Sunday school class. They had about sixty women in this Sunday school class. And I didn't know who the leader was, and so I found out the leader, and I went up and I said, "Hi, this is my name, and I'm going to be teaching a, a class on the Feast of Israel." And this lady said to me, "Well, why would anybody want to know about that?" Right. And I said, "Well, I said, well, because all the feasts point to Christ. You know, Passover points to the the death of Christ, and unleavened bread points to the sinlessness of His sacrifice." And the uh, Feast of First Fruits points to the resurrection. And I, I just went, you know, down the line. And uh, so it's, um, I don't know if, I, if, if it's a, an unintentional or intentional um, ignorance or not, but. Um, I would say that's almost like they're, they're in the Christian world. And this is probably a generality, but it is, you kind, I think that there's a, presumption not to go back to the Old Testament because it's Jewish and this is the new revelation of Christ, right? So it's like a, a past. That's why I, even just the distinction between the Old and the New Testament, I think, is something that, you know, like I said, it's a generality, but I think that they don't, they're not fused together in meaning as much in the modern Christian perspective as maybe somebody who was like you, a Messianic Jew. Would you agree with that? Yes, and, and when I write my commentaries on Genesis or Isaiah or whatever, you know, I talk about Christ in there all the time, all the time. But I, I, I don't say Christ, you know, really. I say Messiah. Messiah right. I don't say Jesus. I say Yeshua, you know. Right. I'd like to give you another example. Uh, I was in a Sunday school class, very large Sunday school class at a church, and they were coming up on Genesis and the story of Jacob and Esau. And 
most most Gentile churches teach that you know Jacob was a deceiver and he was a rascal and he he was just a rascal but God blessed him anyway and uh, in Genesis uh, 25 27 it says most translations say that Jacob was a quiet man who stayed in tents or a content man or um, most say it most say a quiet man but that word in Hebrew is tam. It's the same word used in, in, in the book of Job where it said, look at my servant Job. He is blameless or guiltless. Same word that's used in uh, Jacob in Genesis 25. But for some reason, translators of Bibles, they don't put, you know, Jacob was blameless. He was innocent. He was guiltless. They don't put that. They, they, use, they use some other term because of a prejudice toward Jacob because of uh, the teaching in the church. So I, before, before my Sunday school teacher taught that lesson, I emailed him, I called him, I explained the Hebrew and everything. And so I show up on Sunday morning all excited. Hopefully he's going to correct this. And, and, he, and he didn't. And some, and some person in the class when he went over that verse, said, yeah, he's just a deceiver. He's just an old, he's a thief. He stole the birthright, stuff like that. Where in a, in a Hebrew, in a, in, a, in a Messianic congregation, they would never denigrate Jacob. Like Interesting. That. And what, what's, your, um, what's your kind of differentiation from Hebrew? Do you have any thoughts on the Hebrew roots movement? Do you get mistaken for being that type of, uh, having that theological perspective? I don't. I haven't. Um, I, uh, as a matter of fact, on my my commentary on on Galatians, um, I have a file on the Hebrew roots movement, and I label it a different gospel. Where Paul talks about, uh, you know, if even if you were an angel from heaven should come and preach a gospel other than this, let him be anathema. You know, and, and so I have a file on the Hebrew roots movement in my commentary on Genesis, um, number AK. Okay. Yeah. Because there's a lot, I mean, I've seen a lot of people arguing about this, whether it's valid or not. I never, I never kind of never uh, sat with me very well, but uh, I'll be interested to read. Well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what, they don't even recognize any of the writings of Paul. Oh, really? Wow. They only recognize the gospels. The Hebrew roots movement only recognizes the gospels. Because Paul is so strong on the, uh, you know, all of Israel will be saved in Romans and stuff that they don't even recognize any any writings of Paul. I didn't know that. Cut out most of the New Testament, you know. Yeah, that's a shame. Yeah. Well, and is there anything else you'd like to cover? I mean, you're looking for two other translators, a German translator, and what the other one was Chinese, right? Yes, that's right. So if anybody needs or was interested in working on this project, um, reach out to jmac at jmac.net. Is there anything else that you'd like to add? Anything I missed before we wrap this up? Well, I just like my you know, my goals for the site are just to um, be able to expose people to uh, a Jewish perspective, what I consider to be a biblical perspective uh, in different languages. Gotcha. And so there it is, English. You've got 19 in English. You've got Espanol, Deutsch, and then Chinese. 
Urdu, and what's the other one? Hindi. Hindi. Tamil. Tamil, gotcha. And the website, again, is jmac.net. So people go check that out, read through it. There's encyclopedic amounts of information and knowledge there, so I, I'm going through it as well. But, jmac, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.